I want to read for you today our text, which comes from the book of Exodus, different portions from chapter 14 of Exodus, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So there it is, parts of a story. You know everybody loves a good story, right? And the dramatic story we come to today is not new to us for most of us who might have been in the church or even in culture. Not a new story. But it's captured the imagination and shaped the faith of people Over the centuries, this event where Israel is crossing the Red Sea, we're calling this sermon deliverance in our series, Wilderness. You know, you might remember, if you're old enough, this even predates me, so there you go, but there have been a lot of movie depictions, right, of the crossing of the Red Sea. How about this one? This 1956 film that starred um, Charlton Heston as Moses called The Ten Commandments. A riveting, huge picture, cinematic, at that that time anyway, marvel. Showing all of the story of what God was doing with the people of Israel. Or how about this one from DreamWorks Animation in 1998. The animated story of the Prince of Egypt. Remember the excitement of that? That probably pre, uh, predates some of you. You've, you know, born after 1998. You don't remember this one either, but it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. We love seeing and hearing stories like this. Stories that capture our imagination and help us to take what is written in the text of the scripture and Make it more um, real to us, more personal. The imagination is stirred as we go forward with this. But I think like many well-known tales, and you might be able to even, you know, if you've been in church for a while, you could name all aspects of this story. We can gloss over just how harrowing 
It was for the people who went through this. We know the end of the story. But when they walked through it, they didn't see deliverance at all. It was real. It was personal. And the fears were real as well. When we go off movie scripts, we can think of those things in our own lives as well, right? Times when fear gripped us and when a rescue seemed way far off. I remember for me a time when one of our daughters was facing a serious health crisis diagnosed with a seizure disorder. It consumed my thoughts. And I remember so well lying awake at night and hearing her move and stir in her bedroom that was right next to ours. And I was constantly on edge. What might be coming next? Might I be able to be there for her? Is she going to be better? It was a long journey. A long journey to move past that fear that gripped me and to eventually learn to trust God with her well-being. Fear is something that grips all of us. And today we begin this series in the book of Exodus called Wilderness, where God shapes his people. And it is full of stories of dramatic encounters where real people faced real fears and real uncertainties, and we find out how God met them there. Now, in this series, we're only going to touch on the highlights of Exodus. Exodus is a long book, and if we took every part of it, we'd, well, it'd be a long time going through the book. So we're going to touch on highlights of this story. But we want to look at the characters and the people and the plot line to see how God is developing this community of people to be his very own, to move them from this uncertainty and the fear of being bound in Egypt to being shaped by this never-ending word and presence of God. So as we start this series, I want to invite you to pray with me because I believe God has things for us as a church community to hear from these stories in Exodus. So let's pray together. Lord, we recognize before you that this is your word, your story, And we are your people as much as the Israelites were in that day. But without the work of your Holy Spirit, this is just one more story that comes in, goes in one ear and out the other. So God, through your Spirit, take what is read from your word and what is spoken from this pulpit and what our minds consider, take all of it to shape us as your people to be people who would trust and honor you throughout the journey of our lives. We thank you for hearing this prayer and for being faithful in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look again at the text from today. And hopefully you still have your Bibles open, either in your um, digital form or um, your print form to Exodus 14. And we're going to kind of walk through this again. Maybe a familiar story, but I think we need to slow down and look at it again. Now, we're starting in chapter 14, but remember the first 13 chapters of Exodus are kind of this ongoing contest between God and Pharaoh. It's been building all through these times, and God has finally, I mean, they've been in captivity for 400 years. 
That's a long time to wait. God finally, it seems, hears their cry for mercy and responds to them and says, I'm going to send my servant Moses and he is going to help lead you out of this place, out of this place of captivity. And so Moses, as you know, he performed all these um, signs and wonders and the ten plagues that were put upon the um, Egyptians and a demonstration of God's power and God's might. And now, just before this chapter 14, the Israelites had followed Moses' instructions. They had prepared a lamb and put the blood of it on the doorposts around their house. The food was prepared. Their bags were packed. Even They had even gone to their neighbors, and their neighbors had lavished on them gifts because it was time to get these Israelites out of the country. They wanted them to leave. So take what we, take what we have and go with you. Take it with you out on your journey. Now you can think about what those Israelites, the devastation they'd already witnessed. They'd already witnessed God's power through these signs and wonders, these plagues. They had seen them, especially this last one. The death of the firstborn because of the blood on their doorposts where the Lord has had passed over, had gone, spared the people of Israel while the, the animal and the people of Egypt had been killed. And so here they are after centuries of captivity. They are ready to march out of Egypt. They are free. They are rich. They are ready to go. Freedom is right there on the horizon. And now, this story. Verse 5 says that when Pharaoh heard that the people had fled, they didn't really flee. They were marching out with conviction, right? But Pharaoh thought when they fled, he changed his mind. Of course, we know from the text, if you read earlier, it wasn't just Pharaoh who changed his mind, but God had hardened his heart. And so Pharaoh says, no, we've got to get these people back. We've got to get this um, slave labor back to make our empire succeed. And so he begins preparation to pursue them. And it intensifies his resolve to go after them. And he heads out with his entire army, as it says in verse 7, 600 of the best chariots of Egypt and all of them together. It seemed as if God was going to come after the Israelites again. You know, they had gone as God commanded. And if you read through the passage and looked at all the different details of the places and did some historical research on that, you'd see that they actually headed out and then God kind of had them turn around and camp at this certain place, which seemed like a really vulnerable location. God had called them out of Egypt, and now he said, I want you to camp here in between the desert and the sea. And while they're there, who do they see approaching them? They turn and they look. And it's not just a few Egyptians. It's not just Pharaoh and a couple of officials. It is an army coming after them, outfitted with the best equipment and furious to get these people back under their control. Israel sees this army coming. We've seen it in the movies, right? But do you feel the terror that comes? 
Do you feel that sense of panic? That sense of uncertainty? Like, what is coming? It looked like they were trapped, like they were sitting ducks for Pharaoh and his army. And this violent system of Egypt that they thought they had escaped from, now it's threatening their very lives. Have you ever experienced that kind of fear? Maybe not an army that you look at over your shoulder, but the kind of fear that you're not exactly sure there's any way out. A fear that makes you say, God, what's going on here? When we face those kinds of impending disasters or uncertainties about what's next, we can relate to these Israelite people. We can be honest with God about them. What did they do? It says here in verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. I wonder what those cries sounded like. What did those prayers sound like? Think about when you pray to God in moments of terror and fear. Sometimes all you can say is, Oh God, where are you? What's going on here? Oh God, help me. They cried out to God. But one of their other responses was to turn and attack the leader who'd brought them out. They turned to Moses, it says in verse 11, and they say, it must be your fault. It must be because you did something wrong. What were you thinking, Moses? I think there are times in our own terrifying circumstances where we need to look for someone to blame, to point at, to say it must be their fault, pin it on them. Think, look, look at verses 11 and 12 to see the way they attacked Moses. Kind of sarcastic questions, but they're pointed. They say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Like, really, there were plenty of cemeteries there and we could have been buried in dignity. We don't want to be slaughtered out here in the desert. What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? And didn't we say to you in Egypt, I mean, Moses, we've been saying this to you all along. We've been saying, we, just leave us alone. Just leave us where we are. It's better for us to just live out our lives in slavery than to face end of dying in the desert you know in their fear as they turn and attack Moses they only saw two possibilities they're stuck they're trapped and they see either slavery back to Egypt or death I think fear does that to us fear makes us think there are only a couple of possibilities and we see with a limited viewpoint James Bruckner, who's a, actually a covenant theologian, he wrote this in one of his commentaries on the book of Exodus. He says, the Hebrews were willing to return to that familiar fear, slavery, rather than endure the terror of God's bid for their freedom. They were going to settle for going back to oppression which they had hated because there didn't seem any way out. And we're going to find as we go through the book of Exodus that those complaints come back a couple of other times. Where in times of uncertainty, the Israelite people speak again of preferring to go back to the way things were, even if it was slavery, 
rather than go through the struggle towards freedom. I don't know what fears are facing you this day, but I would just say that there are times when those same responses come to us. We cry out to God, and that is it's a beautiful thing, I think. When we're afraid, what better way to respond than just to turn your mind and heart to God and cry out in whatever way you need to. But we also get stuck in accusation and we also get blinded by these familiar fears that make us think there is only this solution or that solution. There's no other way to go. And it's at this point that Moses, he doesn't reply to their accusations. He's a good leader, even at this point in the journey. He doesn't talk to what they're accusing him of. Instead, he speaks directly to their fears. He knows God is with them. He has no idea what God's plan for deliverance is. I mean, Moses is in the same place as all of these people, right? He didn't know what the plan was. But he says to their fears this. First of all, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, we've seen that. We see that reminder all through scripture. And I I used to hear it as a, don't be afraid, kind of a scolding. I think instead, it is a recognition that every one of us face fear. And we can see, we can remind ourselves, I don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he tells them, stand firm. Keep standing in your position. Don't waver. We are still God's people. Especially now, don't waver. And then he says, be still. The end of that phrase, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Now that word doesn't mean to not do anything. It's actually more of a term of being still is to be silent. To wait in silence to see what God's going to do. Because the next verse, God tells them to move on. So it doesn't mean just stay put, sit down, do nothing. To be still is to be quiet before God. And wait for him to show up in the ways only he can. He's reminding them throughout this to see in a different way. We need that when we face fears. How do we see beyond our fears to deliverance. Moses says it many times to them and actually it's kind of a play on words here because he says you're going to you're going to see the Egyptians today. They already were seeing them, right? They'd seen the Egyptians, but he says you will see the Egyptians today, but you'll never see them again. You're going to see something else. And in that seeing, you will see the deliverance that the Lord brings. This is their mandate from God. I don't want you to fight, and I don't want you to flee. I want you to stand firm. And I want you to look and see the deliverance that's going to come. So Moses does. And finally, here's where Moses finds out what, what the plan is. Can you imagine that kind of faith? Like, the Egyptians are coming. You can hear the chariots, the chaos, the noises getting closer. The people are yelling. And now Moses gets the plan from God. It says, Moses, raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts 
of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And God says, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Moses has the instructions, and so he follows what God tells him to do. And we might remember, if you've seen either of those movies I referred to at the beginning, this picture of resolve and triumph and power on Moses' face. But I wonder, no, there's no indication in the scripture, but I wonder if Moses, okay, here's the staff. What's going to happen? The scripture tells us he raised his staff over the waters. Of course, we know it wasn't really Moses' staff at all that had any magical power in it. Because, And when that happened, the Lord sent a mighty wind that blew all night long. Think of the worst winds we've ever had around here. This wind blew and blew and blew all night. And the people are wondering, what does this mean? But we see in that wind and the parting of the waters that the Lord did fight for them, just as he had promised. And so the Israelites, we know this part. They take the first step. Water on the left and water on the right and dry land in front of them. And they go on through to the other side. And as the scripture says, God hardens Pharaoh's heart again and says, I'm going after them. I'm going after them. And so he does. And now the people see deliverance in a whole new way, a really powerful way. Because these mighty Egyptian chariots and the armies that are with them come after them with a vengeance. And Moses, now probably with more confidence than ever, God says, put your staff, put your hand over the waters again. And they come back. And they cover over their enemies, and none of them are saved. And if you were to read on in chapter 15, this powerful song of deliverance and praise to God, it talks about seeing those Egyptian enemies dead on the shore. The things that had threatened them, that had stirred all that fear in them, it was gone. The showdown of the sea had revealed that God wins. And his people see it. You know, that is truly the point of all of this. Yes, to move them on away from Egypt and out of harm's way. But why did God do it so dramatically? I don't know. But perhaps it was so that those people would be shaped beyond their fears to look for deliverance. Here's really a key verse in this whole passage, and I want us to say it together, if you would. Read it with me. This is the last verse in chapter 14. Let's read it together. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, Pharaoh had come after them with the full arsenal of all his power as a world power. And the Lord had defeated them. And because of that, Israel comes to fear God. A different kind of fear. 
Not I'm afraid of God, but I can reverently trust in this awesome and powerful God to meet me in my fears and bring about deliverance. This traumatic experience, like the traumatic experiences in our own lives, they can develop that kind of faith that says, I will fear and trust in God because he is the only one who can deliver. We sometimes have false impressions of these Israelites. Either they are mighty and great or clueless and wandering. But they're people just like us. People like us who actually were coming out of oppression. And God does something extraordinary to show them he is a God of power. This is the ultimate story that shapes their experience. And if you read through the rest of the scripture, all the way then through the New Testament, there are always references back to going through the Red Sea. The Lord's deliverance through the Red Sea. God's faithfulness through that place. It's part of the story that shaped these people. Maybe you have stories in your life where you faced really fearful, hard things. And you didn't see any way out. And as God showed up and you stood firm and waited for God to act... A new way of deliverance came. I hope that those stories for you shape your faith and your journey going forward. That the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of salvation, is he is worthy of our trust. It says here the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. This kind of fear... It's something we don't talk about a lot in the church. We, we want to get rid of our fears. But to fear God is to say this is the awesome controller of everything in the universe. And he actually sees me in my fears, in my places of feeling stuck and uncertain about the future. The people needed to have this holy, reverent fear of God as they continued on their journey to the promised land. And we need it as well. Whatever unknown or uncertain things are before you or before us as a church, we need to be honest with them before God. Remember, I think the fears, it's not wrong to cry out to God in fear. It's wise, it's honest to be vulnerable about our fears before him. And when they surface again, we come back again to the way we responded to fear before. We stand firm. We wait in stillness. And we look for God to act. We look for him to deliver us in ways that are abundantly more than we can imagine. I know some of the challenges before some of you that are gathered here in this space or online with us. But I don't know it all. God does. God knows what you're facing, whatever challenges before you, whatever uncertainties make you fearful and feel trapped in. 
And perhaps you can pray as this monk, Thomas Merton, prayed. He wrote widely on issues of faith, and he spoke this to God in his fears. I will not fear, Merton says, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Israel was never alone, even though they felt Moses and God had abandoned them in that place. God was with them to help, help them face the perils. And so when fears arise for you and I, be honest about them and turn your face to God. Cry out to him. Stand firm and then wait to see the kind of deliverance only God can bring. God, the Lord of the universe, he is a waymaker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. And he is light in the darkest times of our lives. He is the one that brings deliverance for whatever we're facing. Praise to his name. Let's pray together. Lord, you have given us your your very self. And as we walk through this familiar story again, we recognize with these people, the fears that can grip us, that can hold us away from your pictures of deliverance. Oh God, help us to see in new ways, to see with eyes of faith that deliverance is coming in your way, in your time. We want to be people who are shaped by these kinds of stories so that our fears do not cripple us. But your power, your grace is what we fear in reverent trust. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. We pray it in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.